Welcome to Mystical Musings, January 17th, 2016. Here in the Mile High City in Denver, in the Art of Life Gallery with Myron McClellan and me, Lawrence Phillips. We're here today in the Art District on Santa Fe Drive with the largest concentration of art galleries in Colorado. Those of us who identify as spiritual but not religious, who are non-sectarian, non-doctrinaire, and non-denominational are the fastest growing demographic of the sacred in America. Thank you for joining us today for creating our community of mystics. People finding unity with God, the breath of life, the gentle whisper, the great spirit. A community of mystics who know beyond the intellect, spiritual apprehension of truths. I am because we are. I am because we're one, celebrating body and spirit. Our mystic portal this month, Divine Nurturance. The word nurturance comes from the Latin, to feed and cherish. We think of nurturance as things like food and clothing, shelter, education, education from our parents, and if we're lucky, and the stars and genetics and karma align, we get educated gently and kindly about the heart. We learn about listening and communicating, sharing, appropriate opening and closing, when to be strong, when to be soft, when to hold, when to fold, how to love and be loved. So how do we nurture the mystic within our hearts? As we've been exploring many times in our 12 years of mystical musings, we are cultivating the attitude of gratitude, as well as the willingness to consciously feel and integrate darker emotional feelings into our mystic contemplations, cultivating various practices of silence, of stillness, of presence, peace and compassion, especially the practice of what the Buddhists call Tanglen, 
receiving in the pain and suffering without resistance and sending out peace and love and joy. All of these and more practices are for nurturing our mystic, tending our relationship with the divine. This is a whole new year upon us now, in record time it seems, and a whole new time. This is a presidential election year, a cycle of ritual that presages new beginnings, and not just another year, but another chapter, and even sometimes maybe a new era. 2016 is Super Bowl 50, that must mean something. (laughs) What might we nurture this year? There are, of course, those resolutions and goals and intentions for the new year. Recent psychological studies indicate that those who focus just on the positive, just on the intention, did not succeed as well as those who focus on the intention as well as the obstacles, real or imagined. We need to remember to open consciously, not only to what we want in our lives, but also to facing the challenges, the obstacles that might arise as well, but especially in a sensory-rich way. Not only envisioning manifesting our intentions, but perhaps also of hearing them, tasting and smelling them, even touching the manifestations of intention, making sure to include how we feel emotionally. It's too easy in our cerebral culture to just isolate isolate the thinking and forget the sensory-rich integration. We want to integrate the body to manifest intention, the Latin derivation of which is stretching purpose. Let us especially wax creative when dealing with our fears without wallowing, opening to them, sensing and feeling and breathing our fears, letting them go, not letting them stop us. Shadow elements of our lives can also nurture, often like no other part of our lives, as it is sometimes necessary and required of us to go through an ordeal, oft noted in the hero's journey. Some great travail through which our defenses against experiencing our deeper fears come tumbling down and we open to life and expand in ways that we probably would not have otherwise. From the great poet Rilke, Our fears are our dragons guarding our deepest treasures. I just got back from Dallas for the interment of mom's ashes and our memorial dinner for her, which was pretty much a miracle. It went very, very well. So of course, death is very current in my heart. Parenthetically, everybody stepped up. The family got together very well. The weather gods helped us beautifully. As we're going to the interment for the ashes, the day was cold and windy and dark. When we got to the graveside, the wind stopped, the sun came out, and we were right there. It was absolutely beautiful. As soon as we finished, because I offered some words at that point, and as soon as we all finished, the sun went away and the clouds came out and the, and the winds blew. 
And so I was sitting there for about 20 minutes, it, freezing cold, but I just, I couldn't leave. It was incredible. So naturally, with the law of synchronicity, I come upon a recent Sunday New York Times article that says, be happy, think about your death. (laughs) (laughs) Timing was impeccable. It's a great contemplation for our mystic, as there is nothing like dying in death to focus our minds. Buddha encouraged meditating on a decomposing corpse thereby enhancing our awareness of our transitory nature. But such a course meditation might be a bit much for most of us. But what would you do differently if you had one year to live? What would you do differently if you had one year of life remaining. Yeah, take a moment just to contemplate that. Watch what arises. The brain is this amazing question and answer machine. So if you put in a question, stuff's going to start coming up. (laughs) And so just notice, what would you do? What would you do differently? Some of us might just do what we're doing. Maybe no different at all. But maybe there's a bucket list. What would you do? A recent study found that people say they find more satisfaction from prayer, worship, meditation than from watching TV or even being on the internet. But turns out that people spend five to 20 times longer watching TV and being on the internet than engaging in spiritual activities or socializing or communicating, those things that we say we find more value from. Our days tend to be an exercise in distraction. Remember from T.S. Eliot in the quartets, America is a culture, and this is in the 30s. Come on in, yeah. America is a culture distracted by distraction from distraction. That was the 30s. That was pre-internet. Our days tend to be an exercise in distraction wherein we're thinking about the future or the past, oblivious to the only thing we truly have, this present moment. Evidence from recent studies indicate that rather than becoming morose, contemplating contemplating death actually makes us funnier. So let us lift our resolutions from the more earthly, perhaps losing weight or saving money, to nurturing our mystic, to contemplating. What's up if we have one year to live? Namaste. If I had one year more to live, I would eat more chocolate. (laughs) Other than that, my my life is so splendid, especially when I look out at you, um, that there is nothing I would change other than that. 
Uh, I have a ritual of going to my sanctuary on around New Year's to uh, make my intentions, to do my prayers, to listen to my guides, and to bless the year ahead. I was so happy to greet this year because 2015 was not an easy year for a lot of us. And uh, we had a lot of loss, of course, Lawrence's mother and others. And there was also a lot of um, angst and uncertainty and confusion. And what my teacher, Corabel would call that is training. <laughs> That's what it is. You're going through a training. She was in her 90s, and um, she went out to see the horses on her, on her big farm uh, just before the sun went down, and she fell into a irrigation ditch. And her family lived in different houses on this farm, but she lived by herself since her husband's death. So no one knew it. So she was there all night long. And so when I saw her, I said, oh my goodness, what a, in fact, she said, yes, it was another training. <laughs> so this was a training year. <laughs> a lot of it was another training year. When I was in my sanctuary and just listening, I, I found I didn't really have many intentions because Lawrence and I are so happy in our lives that uh, we just open ourselves up to more grace. And that kind of covers it. But I heard from my guides that this is an opportunity really to let go of the past in big ways. So um, the books that I've been reading were, a lot of them are classical mystical texts and uh, uh, older writings, and I was directed away from those because that was then. And it's like there was a tabula rasa, I know that isn't technically possible, but that attitude of just letting all that go and opening up to what's new I did find some things new on the internet, uh, which is kind of the new teacher, metaphysics teacher. And there are two particular teachers that I really respect. Young, young people, younger than almost all of us here except Cody. <laughs> so um, one is called Story Waters, and the other one's called Matt Kahn. And I have learned so much from those young men. It's just astounding. And they don't use worn-out language. They use a very exciting, dynamic language. Now, you know, in a way, in Ecclesiastes, it says there's nothing new under the sun. And spiritually, you know, we've... We know those things. We've known forever to be in the moment. We've known forever to live from our hearts. We have known forever to open to grace. We've known forever to be kind 
to other people. And those things stay the same, but their form changes, and that allows us to grow. When we have new language, then it allows us to open ourselves up to new possibilities of receiving grace and receiving nurturing. So it was really a wonderful ritual, and I've I've kept with it. I'm going on spiritual retreat next week. And uh, so I unpacked the books that I had packed, went to Amazon, and got all new authors. And uh, so I will come back, I'm sure, with a different vocabulary. And if I have a different vocabulary, that's a different way of thinking, a different way to hold things. So in any case, that was my resolution. Let go open to what's possible now. We know, we've been talking about it for years, that we're in the midst of a big change, evolutionary change. Uh, On the individual level, it's called transformation. On the cultural level, that's called ascension. And we're very aware of it. We We can feel it. We're alive for it, which is so exciting. This is one of the most exciting times I can ever that I've ever had, and that I ever remember reading about. This is a very exciting time. We're in touch with people all over the world in an instant. Whatever we want to know, we just Google it. I mean, it's a very exciting time. We can look at what's going on in the world and and think, oh, we're not as safe. We're living in the safest time ever. So... uh, you know, I'm grateful to be alive here, and I'm so grateful that together we decided to incarnate together here <laughs> so we could do what we're doing, which is to support the ascension and to support ourselves in being loving beings. So I cannot tell you what a blessing it is to be in your presence. It always is, but today it's just giving me a big smile. So wonderful to see you. Much love to you, and... Namaste.
Thank you, Myron, for spontaneous compositions that we are all participating in helping to create. Myron channeling them. Beautiful. With approaching worldwide ecological transformation, if not catastrophe, with huge flooding throughout Missouri, most of the state, and in various places around the world, as well as a flood of refugees into Europe and around the globe, with the horrific insanity of ISIS and Paris and San Bernardino, metastasizing war in the Middle East, the collapse of commodity prices the world over, the partisan pathos of what passes as politics here in America. <laughs> With all that, what's a good suburban mystic to do? <laughs> Who just wants to experience oneness? What's a good mystic to do? At the very least, we look for evidence, if not incipient, just barely beginning to emerge, like a germinating seed needing our care and our nurturance. Incipient evidence of not just the positive, but of the positive transforming and ascending, not just changing, but of transforming our lives. For this month's candidate for incipient evidence for mass positive transformation, I offer the internet's peer-to-peer -peer revolution. Providing work for many people who are finding it challenging to get work in an economy that is increasingly squeezing the middle class as well as the lower economic folks and providing services that without the internet would never have got, gotten done. This becomes potentiated as a revolution. Like the startup specializing in on-demand deliveries from restaurants and stores in major cities, places that wouldn't usually bring their gourmet burgers to your door, let alone cough syrup. <laughs> Workers utilizing such platforms and apps are able to cobble together a living one order at a time via smartphones and working flexibly whenever they want. No experience or formal interview is required. Such platforms provide meals from restaurants that don't deliver, a bedroom to stay the night, even someone to help move a piano, all this and more for a price. Such peer-to-peer -peer transactions in America number currently in the hundreds of thousands each day. Bypassing the traditional employer-employee relationship, bypassing the middleman. Such startups call themselves platforms as opposed to more traditional companies. Uber, the ride-sharing app, is a great example of this startup platform, which has become the fastest growing startup ever, valued currently at $60 billion in five years. Peer-to-peer -peer is also called the sharing economy, the gig economy. Get the pun? You have a gig and some work, and then there's gigs in the computer. Yeah. The gig economy. 
also the on-demand economy, which is based on a given startup providing software that allows willing parties to connect, bypassing the middleman, connections that are disrupting the way business has been done for thousands of years. A disruption that is also amazingly diverse. Recent polls indicate that 44% of American adults have partaken in such transactions. That means more than 90 million of us. Almost three quarters who provide such services say their experience is positive. No doubt there are issues that remain to be settled and redefining the social contract is certainly one of them. But according to polls, these new economy workers tend to be more optimistic about their financial future. With this unprecedented capacity to connect and thereby nurture those offering services and goods to those desiring them, and with the growing need and necessity to envision a new economy, the peer-to-peer -peer revolution is this month's incipient evidence for mass positive transformation. Shalom. Christ be with you. Assalamu alaikum. Adieu. Adios. Aloha. Namaste. We honor the place in you wherein the entire universe dwells. We honor the place in you which is of love, of truth, of light and dark, and of peace. As you are in that place in you and we are in that place in us, we fundamentally nurture our oneness. Namaste. As I was saying, this year has been a real challenge um, for us. And, and I noticed that I've asked for more help than usual. And I have needed to feel that everything is all right. I have that faith, and I've had that faith for years, and that never seems to go away. But to feel it. And so I continue to practice that I have had for many years, which is calling on the great masters, my guides or the angel kingdom, those who are really close to my heart and ask them to come and be with me and nurture me. So I would lie down on a couch in my sanctuary and open my arms and ask for particular beings to be there. Sometimes it might be Mother Mary. Sometimes it might be Jesus. Sometimes it might be Ganesha. And they come, but they come with a posse. So they're, they're, there's a lot of nurturing going on. And I thought, this is so simple. All you have to do is call on it, and it comes. 
instantly. Probably because it knew you were going to ask before you did. <laughs> but in any case, it's a, a great comfort to have in times of difficult trainings. So, uh, and the other thing that I would ask with all those people would be to just give me grace, you know? Just, I just open my arms and say, just fill me with grace. Fill every electron of my being with grace. I am here to be nurtured by you. Now, I have a lot of nurturing in my home. Tremendous amount of nurturing in my life from other people. I feel so blessed about that. But sometimes I just want to feel the eternal mother's arms around me. Sometimes I just want to feel as if the eternal father is believing in me and embracing me in that way. So I recommend it. All you have to do is ask. And you'll feel it to the degree in which you feel it. But believe me, if you ask for it, it's happening. Now, this, this process led me to another refinement of that process. Maybe it's not even a refinement. Maybe it's a different process. Who knows? It's, but it's about nurturing. So one day as I lay there being just filled with this wonderful joy and reassurance, deep peace, the feeling of being loved and one with everything that is, I thought, I am going to nurture my own heart just to love my own heart. Just go to thy heart, breathe, and say, I love you. I love you. I love you unconditionally, deeply. I love you. So that led to a practice of being with people. And instead of my usual wanting to give them love, I instead gave the love to my heart. It came in and went out. It had a receptive feminine and it has a masculine creative energy to it. Just loving my own heart. It's so easy to do. Really. And it makes everything different because if you're loving your own heart, you're going to be loving everyone else's heart too. There's no difference between me and you. So, but it was so wonderful. And it led to a kind of love that I thought was kind of the opposite of codependence. It was a refreshing, pure, spiritual love for my life, for my heart, and for my mind. Now, this was one of the things that surprised me because I have 
as many of you do, as all of you do, a chattering mind, you know, we call it monkey mind because it's always playing around and it's just mentating and it's not creating anything and it's not very interesting. <laughs> and then I thought, you know, I wouldn't talk about anyone else like that. <laughs> <laughs> so when I got caught up in my monkey mind just going on and on and on, I stopped and I gave it love. I just said, that's your function. You keep me moving. Thank you. I love you. And it loved having it love. Just loving the mind when it gets busy. Just send love to it. Seems like the easiest thing in the world. And why I didn't get it until I'm 75, God only knows. <laughs> I guess I've been in training for 75 years. <laughs> so just loving the mind. Now, the next thing that happened to me is I said, well, I want to do that to my emotional body, too. And just as soon as those words came out of my mouth, I was just steeped in fear and shame. Fear and shame. And I mean hours of it. This is when Lawrence had gone to Texas, which already creates a little anxiety for me. But in any case, it just it went on for about three, maybe three and a half hours of fear and shame. And all of these images came up of all the things that I've been embarrassed about. Not all of them, but a lot of the things I've been embarrassed about in my life, they all showed up. And so I just walked around the house giving that shame and that fear love. And it became a very different experience for me. I thought, okay, I am really tying up some emotional loose ends here. And these are things that need to you know, to look at, need to remind me of how many times I've been shamed in my life, how many times I've been afraid. And all these images would come up. There's a long movie and no intermission. So uh, it was a great practice. And when it was over, there was something so huge about the relief and so huge about the grace that I was absolutely in awe. So when subsequent challenging moments come up emotionally, I go right to that place and love it. Love it, not just welcome it, but welcome it with open arms knowing that it is playing a role in my training and that the only thing it is doing is teaching me how to love. Because, honestly, that's, bottom line, why we're here, is to learn to love, and that includes learning to love ourselves. And when you, again, get to that place where you're giving yourself love, it really makes you feel one with everything. If 
makes you feel the oneness also if you call on a heavenly being to nurture you. Then you know they're just another version of you. And they have love to offer and love to receive. So then I started loving myself while they love me and then telling them how much I love them, which I forgot, forget to do from time to time. I can think about God's love for me, but I forget to say, God, I love you. My gosh, how wonderful. I love you. So the next thing that happened was I had a client, an old dear friend of mine. She's been coming to see me for years. We've known each other forever. And during her session... I determined that what I was going to do was to stay loving my heart. And the connection was deeper than ever. So I've made it a practice. If I'm going to go out and be with people, either professionally or personally, to stay loving my heart. Loving my heart. Now, it also, of course means loving your body. And when I began to love the body, I thought this is really a a unique experience for me. So I started with my feet. I love you so much, feet. You took me up some high mountains and you walked me beside still waters. (laughs) You're so faithful, and you've done such a great job that I can't appreciate you. When you play the organ, your, your feet know where to go. You know where to go. And then I just go up my entire body, speaking aloud and loving every part of it. And it makes a difference. So I do this before I go to the gym, and then when I'm doing cardio at the gym, I am thinking, I love my heart. Now, right, this is good for my heart, my physical heart, and I'm loving my heart, and it makes the gym a different place to be. It really does. This is such a simple idea and so easy to do. It just makes a huge difference when you do it. And you can do it throughout the day. Of course, you'll forget. I mean, that's our problem, right? We'd be in the moment all the time if we didn't forget to be in the moment, right? But being in that flow of love throughout the day and just checking in and saying, I love you. Now, when you're saying I love you to your heart, you're also saying I love you to your magical child within. The child within receives that love. And that makes all the difference in the world. So this is such a therapeutic spiritual practice that I just had to share it with you today and ask you to give it a try. So I'm just going to ask everyone now, anyone who wants to, to close your eyes and love your heart. Send love to your heart. 
There is something quite delicious about that silence, even with the urban sounds. We create together a very rich field that Myron's music facilitates and brings out through and from all of us and that we then share together. It's palpable. It's just beautiful spiritual velvet. Thank you. As we are moving into the completion of our musing today, one of the things that we like to do is what we call embodied prayer. And sometimes it uh, uh, includes movement and sometimes the focus is on breathing. And I would recommend today breathing. And it's very easy in our culture to lose the breath and to go into just not even a second or two. So what I'd recommend if you'd like to explore and play with the possibilities is to breathe four counts in and four counts out as you allow the words that follow to just flow through you. Let them wash over you, not trying to grasp them cerebrally, but just feel them with your body. And so we come to the place that I like to think of as the mystic mash, drawing from our collective wisdom the attributions of which are available afterwards if you'd like to find out who said what. Embodied prayer is an opportunity to interweave body and prayer, movement and breath. Four counts in, four counts out. Moving through our portal to the mystic one through the nurturance of self. At least breathing a little more fully, deepening the nurturance. Here are some gems for nurturance. I love being nurturing and caring because I love to see other people happy. To stay healthy in a relationship, individuals have to nurture themselves. Our young people are assets to be cultivated and nurtured. Let's begin treating them that way. Being in contact with one's spirit and nurturing one's spirit is as important as nurturing one's body and mind. We are three-dimensional beings, body, mind, spirit. Our wounds are often the openings into the best and most beautiful part of ourselves.
Our tears are precious, necessary, and part of what makes us such endearing creatures. The foundation of adult trust is not, you will never hurt me. It is, I trust myself with whatever you do. The challenge is to find our destiny in exactly what we are refusing to engage in. Management is about arranging and telling. Leadership is about nurturing and enhancing. All three of the Abrahamic religions were born and nurtured in arid, disturbed environments. To believe in the heroic makes heroes. Nurture your minds with great thoughts. Just a little progress is freedom from fear. Just a little progress is freedom from fear. For all that has been, thanks for all that is yet to be. Yes. <laughs> Namaste. Namaste.